from the New York City area, welcome to the Badass Counseling Show, where the master badass himself, Sven Erlinson, takes you deep and gives balm for the soul, baby. All right, welcome from everywhere all at once. Welcome to the Badass Counseling Show. I am your host, Sven Erlinson, officially the dumbest person in the room as per usual. And I've got Rocket Rob right next to me. How are you this evening, Rob? I'm good. Uh, thanks, Sven, very well. Do you wanna play the $100,000 pyramid with me for a second? Let's play it. All right, I'll give you the clues. You have to tell me what category, you ready? All right. You never told me that. You are just too sensitive. My exes are all crazy. No wonder no one likes you. You're not making any sense. You did this to yourself. Narcissist slash gaslighter. Ding, 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 ding. Well done, sir. Well, thank well you. Well done. Thank you very much. Right. I'm, I'm very proud of myself. Maybe I'm not the dumbest person in the room. I wanted when, to disprove you, yes. Well, I won't be the dumbest person when Rob goes to the bathroom and Casey steps out of the booth. Then I'll be the smartest person. All right, so we are live and getting after it today. Casey is up in the booth. Rob is next to me. And we are having a live Running live on Instagram, on Facebook, and on TikTok, taking your questions. And we are just going to jump right the fuck in. Here we go, people. Oh, by the way, if you don't like swearing, probably not the best episode to be on. I, I don't know. It's it's just flowing out tonight. I don't know. Well, I, I, was, uh, <laughs> I had a client for a counseling episode that we just got done taping, and I had to bust through some walls with that guy. So Sven had to unleash a little crazy. All right. So what have we got? Oh, here we go. Oh, this is great. This is really good. We haven't dealt too much with dreams and nightmares and so on and so forth. And so is it normal to have vivid dreams when doing soul work? Oh, hell yes. When you are doing the work of going inside and pulling up those memories and pulling up all the feelings that are attached to those memories, those charges, those emotional fucking charges that you've been running from your whole miserable fucking life, when you start pulling that shit up, oh yeah. Why? Because you are, by doing that work deliberately, you are conveying the message to your soul, I'm ready. Okay, I can take it. Give me a little more. And the more you actually do the work of processing it, of journaling on it, of writing letters you don't send, the more you actually do the work, the more you are conveying to your soul, okay, I'm ready for something more. And one of the things that happens at night is those memories, those thoughts, those emotional charges talk to us. I am very much absolutely a believer in that our uh, dreams are basically your soul communicating with your conscious mind. This is why I am a big advocate. If you're going through this work, I don't really do it anymore, um, but I used to keep pad a pen by the side of my, two pads of paper, not pad a pen, two pads of paper and a couple of pens next to my bed back when I was single. And uh, well, even when I was in uh, one of my marriages um, and I would just click on a little light and I would write out that dream to the degree I could remember it as much right away while it was still fresh. And then later in the day, I would go back and I would read it. And everything or almost everything in dreams is metaphor. So if I have a dream, for instance, and in it, there's just so much green and there's a room and everything's green in the room, green paint, maybe green flowers. Green to me, your, your soul is communicating to your conscious brain using metaphors and languages that you understand. So me in my language, in the things that green might be a metaphor to me, money, right? Green is money, right? At least in the US. Another thing that if we say someone is green or wet behind the ears, it means they're a novice, right? Green is also what? Green with envy. And so what I do is these different things that stick out in the dream, like whatever it might be, I take, with, take it and play with that metaphor based on my own knowledge base. And so anytime, for instance, that I have a vehicle in my dream, it's a sign of movement of my life moving forward. The faster the vehicle, the faster my life is moving forward. Uh, water, symbol of the soul uh, or the subconscious if you're into psychology. And swimming in water or becoming af or afraid of the water, all of these things are your self-speaking. So is it normal to have vivid, wild dreams or to have vivid dreams when doing soul work? Absolutely. All right, next question. Uh, this one person asked, hi, would it be possible to chat in private? Yeah, if you want counseling, sure, but I'm kind of busy right now. <laughs> um, so 
uh, yeah, if you want counseling, just go to badasscounseling.com and read the counseling page and then reach out through the contact page. All right. How can an empath deal with a narcissistic in-law to keep the peace? You're asking the wrong question. The question you should be asking is, why am I trying to keep the peace? What are you afraid of? Difference between a peacekeeper and a peacemaker is a peacekeeper maintains the status quo even if it sucks. A peacemaker is willing to stand up, state what their feelings are, stand up for what's really going on, speak what needs to be spoken, attempting to make a better peace, knowing that it's not guaranteed. A peacemaker is the one willing to race the fears. So if you're simply trying to keep the peace, she owns you. Your in-law or he owns you. The narcissistic in-law, they own you. Your silence is tacit approval of the situation. And in order to change the situation, someone's going to have to have the balls to stand up. Stand up and punch the bully in the nose, metaphorically speaking. All right, next question. Oh, hell no. You guys, so we're on this whole uh, toxic relationship shit. Sarah asked, what if your partner has a toxic parent and is starting to show the traits of the parent? Starting to show the traits of the parent. Starting. Starting is the operative word. In other words, I'm seeing it in whispers and glimmers and hints and, and small things, right? And if you've followed me long enough, you know that one of the mantras that I live by is same thing that happens when you go to the gym if you haven't been working out in five years, right? Little things become big things. That if you work hard in the gym, those little muscles of yours, if you want them to, they can be big muscles. Not like super huge, you know, mongo like I am in winter when I'm 275 pounds. You know, you don't have to be an idiot like me. But little things become big things, especially in relationships. That if you don't stand up and address that shit now, whatever the yuck feeling it is, whatever the action is that is discrediting you, whatever the uh, unwillingness to take responsibility on behalf of your, that your partner isn't taking responsibility for their shit, you are tacitly saying, I'm okay with this continuing. And if it continues, it will expand. And not only that, if you let it continue sporadically. So sometimes you say something, sometimes you don't. Sometimes you shut it down, sometimes you let it go. It's just like training any of my dogs. And you guys have met them. If you follow on my uh, feeds, my dogs are Tom, Oscar, and Gunner. And I... When you train, you have to be consistent. If they don't get to pee in the house once, they don't get to pee in the house the third time because I'm too lazy because, you know, I already have my pajamas on, okay? You have to be consistent, especially because fundamentally what you're doing, if I may be a little, you know, whatever, base, uh, you're training someone how to love you. All of the damage later in relationships, 95, 98% of the time, started in the beginning of the relationship. That's why vigilance and diligence in the beginning of a relationship, when things are still small, when they just don't really feel a little good or there's a ping on the sonar, you have to nip that shit in the bud and you have to do it every time. Otherwise, you are conditioning them to act this way. And you can't do it every now and then, you have to do it consistently, which means deep down, you have to believe that you matter which means if you don't believe you matter, if you don't like you, if you're just wanting this person to love you to make your inner pain go away, you are going to end up eating a mountain of shit because you're not going to stand up for yourself in the beginning, which means you definitely won't until it gets so overblown and you're in so much pain for so long that you have no choice to walk away. Because it's not that this person is negating your voice. You are negating your voice when it's small by not standing up for yourself. And believe me, it's easier to stand up when it's small than when it's medium. All right, next question. How do I measure trauma? How do you measure it? Uh, does it hurt? How badly does it hurt? I give it a one to 10 pain scale. And I'm not sure where you're going with that question, uh, but if you were one of my clients, I would say, what's the biggest thing that's causing you the most trauma? What is the greatest pain source in your life? I always believe in starting with the biggest because more shit gets unlocked once I can identify what the whopper is. It's really fucking knocking me out. All right. Do you owe others an explanation for boundaries? Um, yes and no. I mean, if you want a healthy, like loving relationship or a friendship or uh, a you know best friend or whatever, you, you want to give somewhat of an explanation, you know? Like if uh, Rob and his wife are inviting me and my girlfriend, my girlfriend and me over for dinner, and I say, no, we can't can't make it, or just no, 
Well, I can say that. That's my right. I'm not obligated to give any answer, but it's kind of a dickish move, you know, because it's like kind of a nice thing to sort of grease the wheels a bit and say, no, Rob, I don't want to come over to dinner because last time we were there, you didn't shower and it was really smelly. Or no, I'm teasing. Rob knows I'm teasing. Sorry about that. <laughs> Maybe that's why I haven't been getting any invites is because I'm the smelly one. That would be more likely. The point is, are you, uh, do you owe an ex explanation for boundaries? No, on one hand, you don't. But it, what's more interesting is if so, if you give an explanation and somebody transgresses those boundaries, doesn't give a shit, well, they've just shown you their fucking character. Um, but then the last thing on this, do I owe others an explanation for my boundaries? No, but you may wanna ask yourself the deeper question of what is it that's going on inside of me that I don't wanna give a reason for my, my boundaries? And I'm betting it's backlash. I'm betting it's some sort of pain, some sort of denial or deflection or, deflection or dodging, some sort of backlash. And the reason you don't wanna give reasons for your actions is because you're afraid of what they'll say, which means you've got some pain inside of you that in your own self-healing, you wanna address. Otherwise, you're just walking around with it. I think it was uh, Kurt Vonnegut who said, love may fail, but courtesy will prevail. Love may fail, but courtesy will prevail. I like that. I like that. And you know, it's interesting because one of the folks over here on uh, Facebook says something similar. Boundaries need to be communicated if you want to sustain a healthy relationship. If you don't care, then it doesn't matter. Exactly, Larry. I totally agree with you. And that's what I was saying. It's kind of a courtesy, you know, in a relationship, if you want a healthy relationship, even between two friends or coworkers and friends like Rob and me or KC and me and you know, it, it helps to sort of help us all get along if you take that person's wants and needs into consideration. But if you're just constantly taking their wants and needs into consideration at the expense of your own, that is just by definition a toxic relationship. And you're making it so because you're not, or you're at least allowing it to continue because you're not standing up for your wants, your feelings, uh, your needs when your you know boundaries are being, you know, trespassed. Um, how to help deal with unwanted anger. Yeah, anger is like, sadness is like, you know, so many of those uh, extreme disappointment. We only wanna feel the nice feelings, right? Am I the only one? I only wanna feel the nice feelings. It's like anger, nah, no, I don't, no, I'll just stuff that down, right? We just taped this episode and uh, the guy swore up and down. I don't have any anger towards my ex. I don't have any anger. I'm like, bullshit. She broke your fucking heart. There's no way in hell you don't have anger. And then he uh, admitted later, basically, I don't want to deal with it. Or sometimes people will say, well, I don't want to touch my anger at my mom because I don't want to give her you know, that sort of attention in my life. I don't want to give her any weight in my life. And I'm like, that's a delusional thought. That is a head thought trying to justify the fact that you and your gut are fucking terrified of feeling what you really feel, letting it out and conceding the truths about what you really feel and how this person made you feel this way. No, it's not, you don't want to touch it or whatever. It's, it's not that uh, you don't want to give them, you know, that much power over you. Bullshit. You're running from the fucking fears. And so Ron asks, yeah, but how do I, how to help deal with unwanted anger? I'm going to take that as how do you deal with unwanted anger? You let it out. You don't have to do it to the person. In fact, it really seldom solves things. Occasionally there are those times, but uh, you guys have heard me say it a million times, pen, a pad of paper and a pen, start flushing it out. Write that person a letter in which you don't have lots of long sentences with thoughts. I think you need to do this because when you, no, Get out your fucking feelings. Fuck you for doing that to me. I'm so pissed at you right now, but I so miss you too. And it's just confusing the hell out of me. I love you so much. And you made my heart sing, but damn it, why did you have to leave me? I'm fucking crying right now and go to hell. You're such an asshole. In other words, all those feelings are rushing out of you. That's how we heal. It's not with any fucking gymnastics, your brain. It's by getting out the fucking pain, getting out the sadness, getting out the anger. And we do that. And in my book, there's a hole in my love cup. I teach different tools for doing that, as well as other books, uh, recommendations. Uh, but journaling is the simplest one and writing a letter that you don't send and keep writing them till all of that shit is out of you. All right. All right. Do you think it's a good idea to work, to go back and remember my childhood period? I've had a counselor try to get me to do this. It just seems it's going to bring up here. This is what I was just talking about. You guys listening? Listen to what Katrina says. It just seems like it's going to bring up things I'm going to have to re-heal from again. 
Yeah. Shit keeps coming up to reheal when we don't fully go into it and allow it all to come up. Yeah. You wonder, let's say, you know, your ex broke up with you two years ago and you wonder why you still have tears over it. It's because you haven't gone into it. And so you get these little fucking times when you're crying and it's, it's like a dog nipping at your heels. You're never actually turning and walking into the pain and allowing it to wash over you. You're spending your days running from that tidal wave of all your pain, trying to run, trying to run, staying two steps ahead of it. And so you do everything to distract you from it. You know, whether it's booze or pills or overworking, overexercising, shopping, overparenting, uh, distractions, chaos, food, that drug, swiping and scrolling, overgaming, anything to not have to feel those feelings. Do I think it's a good idea to go back and work on and remember your childhood? Yes, I absolutely do. That's what all of my work is, that all of your pains today find the root somewhere back in your past and the, usually the further back you go, the more there is a release of that pain. And again, that's what my book is for. There's a hole in my love cup. That's what this podcast is for, to help you see what you need to do, but also to encourage you and inspire you to finally stop enduring all this pain. Change will not occur until the pain gets bad enough. When does pain get bad enough before you finally turn and face the shit you've been running from your whole life? All right, here we go. How do I get a backbone? How do I get the ability to truly stand up for myself? Fear, baby fear. If you ain't standing up for yourself, it's fear and pain driven. That when you stood up for yourself, you've gotten shut down. And that may have happened as early as two, three, four, six, eight years old, right? So you're taught a couple of things. One, shut the fuck up. You don't matter. Your voice doesn't matter. And also you are likely taught that when I do stick my neck out there, when I do stand up for myself, I get shut down. I get my ass handed to me. I get criticized. I get put down. I get hurt. So you're simultaneously being taught my voice doesn't matter. And you're learning by experience that when I do find my voice, I get hammered, right? So the reason you don't have a backbone by your own admission, so to speak, metaphorically speaking, is because you're terrified. You're terrified of the pain of expressing your truth and stand, and not just standing up for yourself. And for all the people who say, well, I do stand up for myself. I did stand up in my marriage. Why was it still, or why didn't he do this? Or why didn't she change? Because you stood up and you sat down. It's not a matter of just standing up for yourself. You have to stand up and not back down. All right. How do you get you know, a backbone then? You go into your past and you discern, discover where those original fears come from, where those messages are that you got. And you're like, well, how the hell do I do that? Sorry to be a broken record, but that's what I, I, I literally walk you guys through step by step in my book. There's a hole in my love cup and you can just go to badasscounseling.com. It's there. All right. And it's available on audiobook, ebook, and paperback. But the audiobook is only available on the website. And it'll kick your ass. This book is going to kick your ass. If you've got pain in your past, this book is going to fucking kick you in the nuts hard. And it's going to hurt. But what it's doing is it's walking you through it and it's helping you flush all this shit out so that it won't come up again, so that it won't keep nipping at your heels. We'll be right back with more badass counseling right after this. I counseled with Badass Counseling for about four months, and Sven completely turned my life around. He kicked my butt. No shit. He made me do homework, too, but I was so ready for a change that I just did it all. I'm telling you, he changed my life. Thank you so much, Badass Counseling. This show provides soul counseling intended to entertain and inform and is not medical advice. Now, back to the badass. And we are back with a lightning round of the Badass Counseling Show. I am Sven Erlinson, taking your questions live on multiple social media platforms. I am on TikTok at the moment. I am on Instagram at the moment. This is actually my first time that I've done a live on Instagram. We've done all the others before, but TikTok, Instagram, and over here, the fine people at Facebook. And that's where I take the most heat for the swearing. I think it may be a slightly more mature audience, you know, my my age, uh, maybe a slightly older, and we were we were raised differently. You don't swear, and I grew up as a preacher's kid, so I didn't swear until I realized I'm a preacher's kid, and we're supposed to be hellions. And ever since, I just like the taste of it on my tongue. Plus, for many people, it resonates. So, if my swearing is a problem for you, I apologize, but I don't. All right, let's get back to work. How do you stop taking an abuser back? I'm 21, and I can't stop. 
It's really the same stuff I was just talking about before the break. And that is for the one who wanted to find their their, um, backbone. The reason you keep taking an abuser back is any number of things. One, you've been socialized to believe that this is what you deserve. You were conditioned by your childhood, not socialized as in society, conditioned by your child in those core beliefs that got pressed into the wet cement of your soul. The ones that may not have been explicit, but may have been implicit, conveyed to action, a look, a cough, words, whatever it might've been. You're taking an abuser back because you believe you don't matter and you're conditioned to believe that. You're taking an abuser back potentially because you believe it's still love. If you haven't gotten a lot of love poured into your love cup when you were growing up, if you get just a little bit poured in by someone who isn't family, someone who's not obligated to love you, if you get just a little bit poured in when you're used to not getting love, not feeling wanted, not uh, feeling like you matter, you won't let go of that. You will eat so much shit. You will willingly sell the farm. Just give me a little bit of love. I'll do everything for you. I will do everything. You can even hit me. You can even, you know, hit my kids. You can even have my money. You can do anything. Just please don't leave me. Please don't leave me. Please don't leave me. Why do people go back to abusers? To that tiny little cap full of love. Because they believe the abuser is going to change when the abuser apologizes. Because you've been conditioned to believe that you don't matter. Because you are terrified deep inside that no one wants you and that you'll never find a love again. And I'm getting a cap full of love. Shit, I've never had that. I'm staying. I'll do anything to keep you. And I'm in no way, for those of you who want to say I'm blaming the victim, I spend 30 years defending fucking victims. So back off. I'm in no way saying you're at fault, but what's going on here is all of your childhood and conditioning is causing you to believe that A, this is love. It's not. That B, this is all you deserve. It isn't. That C, you suck. You're not good enough. You don't really matter. None of that is true. And the D, it will hurt too much and you might get hurt back if you break up. But you did say, how do you stop taking an abuser back? So clearly the breakup, if you're doing it repeatedly, it would seem it's not incurring a mass amount of pain. There is safety in your breaking up and you keep doing it because you, you partly also believe you can't bear the thought of being alone. And it's not just the act of not, uh, you know, being alone in the room. Can't bear the thought of not having someone. Why? Because when you don't have someone, having someone, even if they're just giving you a little cap full of love, having that person pouring in love is a living, breathing counter message to all of the other messages you were taught about yourself growing up, that you suck, you're no good, whatever, right? And once that living, breathing counter message walks away, or you cut them off thinking you're ready this time, all of a sudden, all those voices, there's no longer a buffer. There's no longer a block from between those voices deep in your soul that got pressed in there that were bullshit from the beginning. All of a sudden, they come roaring back into your fucking head and they start to fucking dominate you. And it's painful. The voices inside are far worse than the voices outside of you. And it's a matter of getting those out. All right, next question. Why do I second guess myself? Because you were taught to believe that your voice doesn't matter. Next question. How do you know when it's over? And why is it so hard to walk away? Well, we covered the why is it so hard to walk away just a minute ago when we were talking about the abuse being uh, conferred upon the uh, poor 21-year-old. So we've sort of addressed that. It's hard to walk away because you believe you're not going to find love. You're afraid of being alone. All those things that I just listed. How do you know when it's over? Honestly, if you are healthy, and mind you, unhealthy people come in twos. So the odds that there's a relationship where there's a healthy person and an unhealthy person where there's the healthy person saying, you're the problem, you need to get fixed. There's nothing wrong with me. Really genius. So if there's nothing wrong with you, then why the hell are you in a relationship with an unhealthy person? No, healthy people by definition do not get into relationships with healthy, unhealthy people. Why? They're, they understand the importance of protecting myself from people who are unhealthy. Furthermore, a healthy person who gets healthy inside of a relationship will not long stay with someone who is unhealthy. Why? Exact same reason that the protection of self, the understanding that I have no need and no one has the right, I have no need for someone who's um, using their problems, taking their problems out on me or undermining a relationship in which I wanna be happy. So to your question, how do you know when it's over? You know when it's over, if you're healthy, when you have stood up for yourself, made your needs known, made your wants known, and insisted on uh, your feelings being honored and your feelings aren't honored and your needs and your wants aren't honored. In other words, where it really, even setting all of that aside, do you want to know when you really know a relationship is over? When the pain has gotten bad enough. When it just feels yucky to the nth degree and there's no hope of change. 
or there's such little hope of change that I, fuck, I don't even give a shit anymore. Let me ask you guys a question. I did a video on this, I don't know, months ago, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask you a question. If you were dating someone and they were just like, I'm, you know, he's Mr. Consistent and he's loving and he's supportive, but he's also firm and he's just a nice guy and he's consistent. If you were uh, at three months and he's just rock steady, but he's also lively, got a good sense of humor, intelligent, whatever. Would you believe after three months that, gosh, maybe this guy loves me. I, he really likes me, and but he's consistent. But then you stay with him, and then a year and two months go by, and you have the epiphany when you're driving to the greengrocer, you have the epiphany, this fucker is consistent. It's just like he makes mistakes, but he owns it, and he apologizes and changes his behavior. But overall, he's just consistent constant in his love and i love the way he shows love and it's a good fit would you believe that he loves you what if the same thing happened at four years would you believe that he loves you of course you would right of course you'd believe it at a year and a half i mean just consistency right there's no deviations from pattern it's just consistent love that feels right and owning a shit and that sort of thing and respectful and all of that would you believe it at four years would you believe it at eight years yes you likely would so then if someone, parent, boss, coworker, friend, lover, spouse, sibling, child, if someone is consistently hurtful to you over a year and a half, would you believe that their consistently bad behavior and hurtful behavior is a pattern that can be trusted? If they were consistently mean to you, rude to you, hurtful to you over four years or over eight years, or over 12 years, would you believe it? No, you wouldn't, would you? You wouldn't believe it because you're in that relationship and you want it so bad. Healthy people believe it. You know, there's that old cliche saying when people show you who they really are, believe them. Yeah, we all fucking say that shit till we're in a relationship we really want to work. We have this person, we really want them to change and love me the way I want to be changed or love me the way I want to be loved. Parent, lover right? But you see that pattern of behavior for a year and a half, four years, eight years, and you don't believe it. You have a consistent pattern of behavior, just like the consistent pattern of the person's love, which you believed after three months, you believed it after a year and two months, but the pain, no, it can't be real. I'll stay in it even longer because it just might change because there's that 10% or that 20% of her that is so sweet. I'm sure that, that I, I just keep loving. I just want that. I want that. I want that so badly. Meanwhile, you're eating shit 80% of the time. It's not love. It's you not wanting to admit the truth. It's you not willing to be alone. It's you not wanting to walk away. And so you allow and you allow and you allow. And as I said earlier, small things get big and anything you allow is gonna fucking grow. All right, next question. And to that point, oh, I believe it. I just don't wanna give up the good stuff. That's exactly right. As I said, oh, she's so sweet 10 or 20% of the time, right? And so when we're not want, willing to give up the good stuff, we're, willing, we're fundamentally taking this, you know, let's just say 80% shit where you're being treated like shit. We are weighing that and we're saying, well, that doesn't weigh very heavily. What weighs most heavy with me is the 10 to 20%. So that's how little you think yourself. You are willing to eat shit 80% of the time or 60% of the time or 40% of the time just so you can have that 20 or 40% of nice. And you don't stand up for yourself to have them change that shitty behavior. Why? Because you fear the backlash. You fear them saying, well, you're this, that, and you're gaslighting or walking away from you. And then you would lose that cap full of love that you're getting from them. And the idea of losing that cap full of love feels like a fate worse than death, right? And so you endure it and you're it because I still want that little cap full of love or I want that, you know, teaspoonful or a cup of love, right? And so you're believing and the reason you're not standing up is because you got all those fears of the backlash, fear of them leaving. So if I just basically sacrifice myself and quiet my own shit and knock my own feelings down, then I'll get more capfuls of love. In other words, what you're trying to do is make your life pain go away by getting more and more good stuff. And that's not how it works. So many people say, well, the way to become happy is just get more good stuff, get more happy stuff. That's not the way to become happy. That's only half the equation. The other half of the equation is having the courage to root out of your life and root out of inside of you, to root out, to take out by the root like weeds now in spring in the Northern Hemisphere, weeds in my tulip garden, to root them out. You have to have the courage to go in and root them out. All right. 
All right, fast here. How do I stop being a yes man? Exactly what I was just talking about. You have to go into the fears and the beliefs that you are taught about yourself that believe you, that taught you to believe you don't have a voice. Next question. What if the cap full is from a mom? <laughs> That's where it's most from. If you're doing it as an adult, then you are getting capfuls from mom, from dad, from grandma, whoever the hell raised you, auntie and uncle, whoever raised you was giving love in capfuls, if that. And that's what preconditioned you to believe that that's what love is. So what you're getting poured into your love cup is that cup, that uh, that capful of love. And then a bunch of other crud got stuffed in there. Crap. And so you equate love with little bits of love and there's gotta be pain. And if it's not pain, if it's not chaotic, if it's not demeaning to you, it's not love. And this is why we get into our 20s and so often our relationships are this manic, fucking bullshit, crazy, wild relationship. And we think this is love, man. This is passion, baby. Come on, man. This is love. No, it's not. It's you being conditioned to believe that this shit of how you're being treated, whether it's abuse or craziness or constant breakups or whatever it might be, or your feelings being, neg being neglected, you were preconditioned to believe this is love. And that's why in your 20s, in your teens, in your 30s, it can go later than that. If you meet someone who's actually great, who's actually just a decent, consistent lover, it's gonna bore the fuck out of you. It's not exciting. See, that, that, that excitement is a drug. It's that adrenaline that makes all the yucky feelings inside of yourself of what you were taught about yourself, makes them all go away. This is love, this is exciting. Yeah, give it about 10, 20 years, however long. It's an old man's game. It's an old woman's game. When you realize that shit, that ain't fucking love, man. That's just crazy. I don't want that shit in my life anymore. I want somebody who's got some sense of adventure, but I want somebody who's, you know, more of a steady Eddie. I want somebody who's just where it's calmer, love. You get sick of those fucking roller coasters, right? The highs, the lows, the wild. Oh, this is crazy. This is love. That's not love. That's what you were conditioned to believe love is, that if it doesn't come with pain and feeling neurotic all the time, it's not love. Oh, it absolutely isn't love. Or it is, if it doesn't come with that, it's not love. And in fact, if it doesn't come with that, that's gonna be the shit you're gonna be wanting later in life. And you're gonna look back on that really nice guy. Nice guys finish last. No, he avoided your crazy ass when you were 20, right? You're gonna think about that really nice guy that you thought was boring, that you let go and you realize, man, that's what I really needed. I'd kill to have that guy now. Yeah, but you weren't ready. That's not your fault. It's just you were conditioned to believe that that's what love is. And just a little bit of love with all the pain is what love really is. And as we go through life, the pain gets bad enough and we discover that ain't love. All right. All right, here we go. This is a good one. It's It all seems to be dovetailing today. I confronted him about his lies and then he broke up with me and blocked me on everything. <laughs> I'm sorry, Lexi, I'm not laughing at you. I'm laughing at how universal that is. We've all had that experience so that you confront somebody and then, then they're like, well, fuck that. I don't want to change. I want you to be the same doormat you've always been. I want it to be all about me and you don't get to call out shit about me. See, very often what, you know, this phrase gaslighting, which I don't believe, or excuse me, um, gaslighting, but also narcissism, which I don't really believe in, even though I was a, you know, studied the classics and Greek and all that shit. Um, because, you know, let psychology have that one. I believe in extreme takers, but very often uh, you ask the question and you make the statement, I confronted him about his lies and then he broke up with me and blocked me on everything. People want to make the other person in a relationship, parent-child relationship, friendship relationship, they, or a love relationship. We want to make the other person the problem. Why? because then I'm in the catbird seat. Then you won't see what's wrong with me. Then no attention will be turned on me. And all of the shit that I've been taught to believe about myself, that I, I'm shitty and I suck, and no one would ever want me, then they would, that would be seen and I'd be exposed and I'd feel vulnerable and unloved and unlovable, which is how you always feel anyway. So it's easier to keep the focus on how shitty the other person is. It's easier to say, you're the fucking problem. You suck, you did this, you did this, right? And so, when you confront him about his lies and then he breaks up with me, it's like, yeah, that actually makes total sense. And he did you a favor by breaking up with you and blocking you on social media. I know it may not feel that way right now, Lexi. He did you a huge fucking favor because you're, you were dealing with someone who was emotionally and relationship eerie fucking responsible. They didn't want to own their shit. Don't get in relationships with people who can't be called out on their shit, who say it's all about you or people who don't apologize. We got to make this world a better place. And if I could change one thing in this world, one of the two things that I would change is that people 
begin to own their shit more and apologize and change their behavior post-apology. All right. Men have to ignore everything and smile. No, they don't. You've just been conditioned to believe that. Men, the reason they stay on their surface is because they've been taught feelings don't matter. They've been taught their own feelings don't matter. In childhood, domineering father, domineering mother, alcoholic, a fucking abuser, whatever. Plus society conditioning men, you know, feelings don't matter. And so when a guy's getting, you know, picked on in a relationship, and I was a, a victim of domestic violence, victim of domestic violence. Yes, even at six foot four, 270 pounds, victim of domestic violence in two long-term relationships. And this notion that men just have to smile and bear it is, is a bullshit notion. I realized that I played a hand in creating that relationship and allowing it to get so toxic because I believe the little stuff doesn't matter. As men, very often we're conditioned, hey, it's no big deal, or I can take it, ah, it's no big deal. Ah, I'll let it go, it's not a big deal. But all those little not big deals add up till eventually I feel so hurt that it's become this fucking mountain. And what do guys do when all those smalls and mediums build up? We go, and we fucking explode. Why? Because we finally feel justified in expressing my feelings. If you really believe feelings didn't matter as a guy, then you wouldn't explode when they get really big because, hey, they don't matter. Or are you one of the guys that walks around and is always white hot? You go from fucking calm to white hot in seconds. Your first response is always anger, right? Right, because you got so much fucking pain in you that you are never allowed to express. Right. And so if you don't express your feelings, if you don't allow them out, they will build up. You have to break out of that belief system that says, oh, men just have to grin and bear it, it's bullshit. That will kill your fucking relationships. If for no other reason, then how do you bond with someone who isn't being real and sharing what they feel? Not just the happy things, but sharing when they're hurt. That's real, it's vulnerability that bonds people together. Why? Because when I'm vulnerable and you treat it well, I trust you. When you're vulnerable with me and I hold it, without trying to fix it or change it, you trust me and trust is what builds deep relationships. It's not love, it's trust. It's trust and trust requires effort to reveal to you who I really am and what is really going on inside of me. So guys, if you actually wanna have reasonable relationships, great relationships, you have to open up even on the small stuff. You have to believe that your small feelings matter. And fathers and mothers who are socializing children Teach your child that it's okay to express your feelings in you know in ways that aren't harmful for others. But it's not only acceptable, it's necessary to having good relationships because then we're communicating, we're hearing each other and we're validating the worth of each person in the relationship. All right, I'm gonna take just a couple more questions here and then we're gonna call it a happy, happy day. Okay. What was your turning point to allow yourself to be vulnerable and feel your feelings? I was sort of lucky. A big step for me was when I was 13, I always, all, all the way growing up, all six of us kids of my parents, my mom was literally a professional listener for a living. My dad was a clergyman, but he was a professional talker. Um, but both of them, World War II generation, big hearts. But mom always listened so fucking well, so I always felt safe. I would tell my parents everything, and I think they probably wish I wouldn't tell them so much. But I always felt safe expressing my feelings. But it's different when you get into a love relationship because somewhere... I had gotten conditioned in this very loving home um, and I was never beaten. Rarely was did my parents raise their voice at us. My brothers and shit, well, that's what brothers do. But I had somehow picked up the message that if I want you to love me, I gotta do more, more, more. I wanna do more, more, more. And so I would serve, serve, serve. I was an extreme giver, right? And which means I would tend to not honor my own feelings. I was one of those guys that didn't say, listen, honey, you, you just hurt my feelings. I would wait till it build up and then I'd explode. Now, I was not a hitter, never have been, but yelling, oh, I have an acerbic tongue, trust me on that one, um, or just the words I choose or where I'll hit, but I would be very slow to engage, and once I engage, right? So when did I become aware um, to allow myself to be vulnerable and feel my feelings? I had always had that, and yet, in some ways, the stakes are higher when you're in a love relationship. In some ways, I think it was probably at near the beginning of my second marriage, and that was when I had uh, my suicide attempt. I had been suicidally depressed for 12 years. And I realized something had to change. And I realized, and I had been journaling since I was 13, and but no one, I could never find a therapist or anything to get me out of the shit I was in. I had to create my own way. And I read a thousand books, at least, in all different fields, theology, spirituality, 
psychology, all sorts of shit, new age, trying to find a solution. And I realized that something had to change. That was the grand realization of my suicide attempt. Something had to change. And I was going to have to make decisions differently. And I realized I'm going to have to make decisions based on what feels right to me. That my feelings matter. I matter. Every time you stand up for your feelings, you are fundamentally shouting to the heavens, fucking A, I matter. Whereas your entire life, you've likely gotten the opposite message. It was a good good question, reflective as fuck. I like that. That's good. That's like, that's kind of like badass counseling. It's like, um, you know, I do this spiritual soul shit, but I do it as fuck. I do it to the fucking extreme, motherfucker. And I love that. Let me remind you all that one of the origins or the origin of, for instance, yoga, which teaches namaste and peace and so on and so forth, was warriors as a way to summon the serpent spirit, as a way to unify the body and the mind. So warriors going all namaste and kumbaya and shit. Yeah, life isn't just all happy and I'm always happy and we're good. And, and I'm, not just, I'm not picking on yoga. I'm saying when we're putting on the sunny face, that's not authenticity. Authenticity of self is that at times I'm fucking pissed. At times I'm gentle. At times I'm disappointed. That it's allowing yourself to feel your feelings, whatever they are, that you're so, you have such a strong sense of self and you're so unafraid of what other fucking people think that if I feel something, I feel it. And I allow it to come out. What do I give a shit what society says men should be? So fucking arbitrary. We're on a rock somewhere out in space. And we have this arbitrary notion that we treat as absolute that men must be tough. That's manhood. No, it's just some thought on a rock. If you're really a badass, you feel what you fucking feel because that's your feelings. Regardless of what somebody else would say, you should experience in that moment. That's your feelings. And if you're not feeling it, you're cutting off part of yourself. You know, I mean, if a little kid, a four-year-old kid is running across the yard through the grass and he fucking stubs his toe on a rock in the grass that somebody missed when they were mowing the fucking lawn, he's going to howl. I would howl. I stub my toe. I hate that shit. Or when you ding that part of your elbow, you know, the funny bone, it's like, ah, mother of God, you know, and a little kid is going to do what? They're going to start to cry. If you hit me hard enough, if you hit me with your car, if I go flying off my bike, I am going to cry. I guarantee any person you line up in front of me, I can find something that would make them cry, some pain point, emotional or physical. So you're acknowledging that that is a natural human reaction, a natural human response. So if it's natural, why not let it out? Yes, there, there's a place and a time, obviously. But why not go home and let that shit out if, you know, rather than doing it at work for whatever reason, you know? It's just the notion that your feelings aren't important, especially when they're, uh, small, that is the recipe for shitty relationships and ultimately an unhealthy, unhappy life. I guarantee it because I get people at all levels of society from the very, very top to the homeless and drug addled. I lived on the street for two and a half years working with the homeless, ministering to the homeless, sleeping on concrete. I gave up all my life possessions except two shirts, two pairs of pants and change underwear. And I went and I lived on the streets of Oakland, California and Berkeley too. But sleeping on concrete every single night for two and a half years. I've dealt with the lowest, the low, the middle, the richest of the rich. And that shit, those feelings, regardless of where you're at in society, you're either running from it or you're distracting yourself from it because the thought of dealing with it is too overwhelming. The thought of looking at the truths of where you fucking came from is so fucking scary, you don't want to touch it. All right. What if you have a friend who you want to change, but they refuse to and you're tired of them not changing? <laughs> Walk away. I mean, I'm inclined to say next question. I mean, it's pretty fucking simple. The bottom line is, if I want someone to change, if I'm a parent and I'm saying, you should do this, you should do that, Sonny, what I'm really saying is I don't like this aspect of who you are. I, and the child is getting that fucking message. Mommy doesn't like me. Daddy doesn't like me. Anytime you're saying, I need you to change, you're saying, I don't like this aspect about you. Not in, in a mature adult relationship, we hear that. So for instance, uh, my, my girlfriend, when we started our relationship many years ago, she would say, I don't like it when you raise your voice at me. And I said, I don't like it when you interrupt. I have to feel heard. And one leads the other in both of us. And I had to change. Why? Because I really liked her. And she was such, is such a sweet soul. One of the finest people I've ever met in my entire life, male or female or non-binary. It's just, wow. And so I wanted to change. Why would I want to hurt somebody that I give a shit about? And she began to change in part because one of her uh, right-hand people in the company she runs uh, would do the same thing, wouldn't let her finish. And she began to experience the frustration that I was feeling. So we changed for each other. 
But if you're trying to change someone, you're fundamentally admitting, I don't like this about you. And it, again, if it's a child, they'll, they will take that as I'm no good. But if you're asking someone to change something about them, a friend, and they refuse to change and you're tired of them not changing, walk. It's time. It sucks. You got to grieve it, but it's time to walk away. All right. I think I'm going to do one more. Entering dating. And I want to know how to know if a person is emotionally mature or masking. Right. And it's sort of, uh, I have a couple answers for that. One, it cuts to the notion of how do I know if I can trust this person, that the way they're presenting is actually who they are. And I'm of the belief that there's only one way to absolutely know whether or not you can trust someone and you're not going to like it. <laughs> the only way to fully know whether or not you can trust someone is to trust them, which means you're willing to get hurt. There's no absolute guarantee. You can be with someone for 25 years and then they cheat on you, or they realize they've been, you know, they've been spending the family money on gambling or bad investments, whatever. The only way you can fully know is to keep trusting someone and they keep proving it. So when you say you're entering dating and I want to know how to know if a person is emotionally mature or masking, what you're really saying is I want to avoid pain and I want to be able to read it in advance so that I'll stay from someone stay away from someone who might hurt me because they're masking. And I'm saying that's the wrong question. I mean, you're not bad for asking it, but you're asking the wrong question. You're asking for confirmation, some sign, some tick, some, something I can notice in the other person to know whether or not they're masking. And what I'm saying is don't focus on the other person, focus on yourself. All you need to do to have successful relationships is to tune into yourself and forever be asking yourself the question, how does this feel right now? How do her actions feel right now? How is what he is doing and how he is treating me? How does it really feel? And so if you've got all this pain and bullshit messages you were taught about yourself from your own childhood, that is going to cloud your ability to feel your own feelings. If you've been taught feelings don't matter, or your feelings don't want, matter, or you're unwantable, or you're no good, that's going to pack on top of your ability to feel your own intuition. Because once you get that stuff out, you can feel when something feels yucky. And then you have a choice. So step one is being able to feel what you really feel. Step two is having the courage to stand up and say, I don't want to be treated that way. I need you to please stop. And step three is the willingness to walk away or have them walk away if you stand up for yourself and it's not changed. So it really doesn't matter if they are, you know, if they're emotionally mature or masking. What All that really matters, because you'll never know until they unmask, Right. The only way, the only thing you need to be focusing on is how does this feel? And if it feels yucky consistently without change, get the fuck out. And consistently, maybe twice. You know, you tell someone, I really need you to apologize when you say that to me. And the first time they don't. Okay, well, maybe I'll give it one more shot. Ha something similar happens again, I need you to apologize. And they don't, fuck it, I'm out. I'm out, right? So it's the effectiveness of any relationship, whether it's narcissist, love bomber, gaslighting, it doesn't matter what name you attach to that person. That's irrelevant. It's irrelevant. And I'm not talking about actual psychological diseases, separate issue. You didn't ask about actual psychological diseases. You asked emotionally mature or masking. The way you know is how does it feel? Do they honor your needs? Do they change when you say, I, I can't let you treat me that way? Do they hear you? Do you feel heard? All of those things. Either the relationship feels good or it feels like shit. And that's, that's the metric. Every relationship begins and ends for the exact same reason. Feel. It's not the reasons. He was so funny. Or, and he, you know, he makes me laugh and, and he's intelligent. It's not the reasons. It's how those reasons make you feel because you could meet someone else that has that exact same sense of humor or a very similar sense of humor and is intelligent, maybe even better looking, but for whatever reason, you just don't feel the chemistry. You just don't feel it. So if you think feelings don't matter, you're, you're just in, in for a world of a shit show in your relationships because you're not tuning in for what matters to you. You're not standing up for what hurts. You're not walking away when something hurts consistently, all right? The shit, the feelings matter. And the way you tune into your own self, your own authentic self, is you go inside, pull out all of your pain, your fears, your bullshit beliefs you've been taught about yourself. That is the nectar of the gods, fine people. And of course, that's what I wrote my book for. There's a hole in my love cup, which you can get at badasscounseling.com. The audiobook is only available on the website, but ebook and paperback are there as well. You can get those on Amazon if you prefer. Um, also, the do it yourself video courses and this podcast 
with my dear, dear, dear friend and really the smart guy of the operation, Rob. Rob, weigh in for me today. Thoughts on today's lightning round or questions that jumped out at you or just vent, Rob. You've been you're, silent the whole time. You're not, not exactly. You're fine as usual. And I have to say, I think you set a record with 22 questions and topics and only one serious rant. <laughs> Which I like the rants, but that was, that was one of those. But you, you got 22 in, in less than an hour. I'm, I'm freaking impressed. Dude. I was thinking of you, actually. I was thinking of you. Rob's always like, Sven, you spend you know five minutes on one question. Just move it along. I'm like, no, I really want to answer that question more. And sometimes I do have to go deeper. And sometimes I'm just playing because shit, I would not fucking be here. Rob would not be here doing the technical unless that was fun for him for the most part. Um, there are those days, right, Rob? Never. <laughs> and I wouldn't be here unless it was fun for me. KC, our creative operations director, producer, she would not be here unless it was fun for all of us. So you forgive me if sometimes I just make it funner. Uh, yes, I know it's not a word. Well, fine people, I want to thank you for tuning in to yet another episode of the Badass Counseling Show to our friends in Pierre, South Dakota, to our friends on the White Earth Native American Reservation up uh, just north of Lake Park, Minnesota, where I grew up going to swim at White Earth and going to summer camp at White Earth, to our friends in Walla Walla, Washington, and in Saskatchewan, to our friends down in South Africa and our friends in Europe and Japan. I've got a woman who is potentially going to be translating my book into Japanese, and uh, we're talking about it. And to friends all around the world, especially, especially Adelaide, Brisbane, Sydney, Perth. I love my Australians, love my New Zealanders. I really do. Thank you so much for everyone for tuning in to yet another exciting lightning round episode of the Badass Counseling Show. On behalf of Rob, on behalf of Casey and the booth, have a kick-ass day. The Badass Counseling Show is strictly copyrighted. No copies may be made without the express written consent of the Badass Counseling Show, LLC. The Badass Counseling Show is produced by Karen Camparelli and Robert H. Friedman. Executive producer, Sven Erlinson. Original music by two-time Emmy Award-winning composer Trevor Morris. Have a kick-ass day.